Welcome to NVC Life. I'm Rochelle Lamb, veteran NVC trainer and relationship coach, helping listeners navigate interpersonal conflict and ground more deeply into relational living. Greetings, fellow humans. Today, I want to speak about the fourth step of the nonviolent communication process, which is the ability to make requests. I can't tell you how often people overlook this step when they engage in dialogue. I support a lot of conversations between people, and invariably during a support session, one person will share their experience of the relationship, and then silence. After a few seconds of silence, the other person will share their experience, which is often, but not always, a correction of what the other person has said. Until I intervene, it's typically a volley of evaluations and very rarely does either party make a request of the other person. So for our purposes, I'm going to focus on the connecting request, which is distinctly different from the solution request. NVC defines connecting requests as requests that anchor the conversation in the expression of feelings and needs. We either ask for the other person to reflect back our feelings and needs, or we ask the other person to express their feelings and needs. A solution request, on the other hand, which is a different kind of NVC request, proposes specific concrete actions. For instance, would you be willing to empty the dishwasher when you get home from school today? Or would you be willing to drive the kids to school? It's important to keep in mind that what makes a request a request is the willingness to hear a no. Without that willingness, it's a demand and not a request. I will explore solution requests in a future episode, but for this episode, I want to focus on the connection request. Again, a connection request is different from a solution request. And a connection request might sound like this. Can you tell me how you feel in this moment? So let's explore a situation between Sally and her husband, John, as he heads out the door at 8 a.m. to a work-related meeting. Hey, John, wait a second. You've got some dandruff on your jacket. And Sally reaches over to brush it off John's shoulders. John pulls away and snaps. You're so damn critical. No one cares if I have dandruff on my jacket, for God's sake. Okay, here's the NVC intervention moment. Sally might say, ouch, when you tell me I'm critical, I feel hurt and surprised. I would like to be seen in my good intentions to support you. She stops speaking with her eyes looking intently at him. She's made the observation, stated her feelings and needs, but no request. John responds, I don't need another mother. I'm a grown man and can take care of myself. Okay, let's break it down. What's happened here? It's important to make clear that just because Sally didn't include a request doesn't necessarily mean that John would have responded differently had she included a request. It may not have made any difference to him. Still, Making a request helps the speaker to establish what they would like as they pave a pathway forward for the conversation. Making a request also releases the burden from the listener to try to guess what we're ultimately wanting when we share our feelings and needs. So what might the request be? Ouch. 
When you tell me I'm critical, I feel hurt and surprised. I would like to be seen in my good intentions to support you. I'm wondering how you feel hearing that. There's absolutely no guarantee that John, who's probably too triggered to genuinely listen at this point, will respond favorably to Sally's request. Nevertheless, making the request makes clear to Sally at least what she would like, in this particular case asking John to let Sally know how he's feeling after hearing what she said. It has the potential to slow down the conversation and steer engagement towards expression of feelings and needs instead of those feelings and needs possibly getting sucked into the vortex of blame when we leave the request out. Let's imagine, though, that John doesn't respond to Sally's request by sharing how he feels. Let's imagine the same earlier response. I don't need another mother. I'm a grown man and can take care of myself. At this point, Sally has a choice to make. One, express her honesty again in the hopes of being heard. Or two, empathize with John, which is usually the better option in a moment like this. Here's where it can seem so unfair to anyone who is new to NBC. Why is it that when I am doing my best to share something that is important to me, which is already hard enough to do, I inevitably have to move into caretaking the other person? I get it. Here you are working so hard to connect with the other person, and it seems the only option available to you is to juggle the feelings and needs for both people. It's so unjust. Yep, it is. But whoever is best resourced to remain coherent and keep their eye on the overall objective of connecting, that person is the best person to manage and direct the conversation, irrespective of what we might consider fair or unfair. So let's try it. Sally, when you tell me I'm critical, I feel hurt and surprised. I would like to be seen in my good intentions to support you. I'm wondering how you feel hearing that. John, I don't need another mother. I'm a grown adult and I can take care of myself. Sally, are you upset because you need respect for the fact that you're fully capable of taking care of yourself? You want me to lay off? John, yeah, just lay off. And John walks out the door. Clearly, this exchange isn't going any deeper at the moment, and certainly not without the willingness from John to soften somewhat and experience some curiosity about what's happened between himself and Sally and what role he has played in how their conversation has unfolded. Let's imagine, though, that later that day there is some curiosity. Let's imagine John says, Hey, I'm sorry about how I spoke this morning. I had a lot on my mind and was short with you. I'm really sorry. Maybe that's enough for Sally, and maybe it isn't. Let's imagine, though, that Sally responds with something like, I appreciate hearing that. I really do want to be recognized as someone trying to support you instead of someone who's criticizing you. She pauses, takes a deep breath, and continues. It's a challenging and frequent pattern between us, one I'd like us to work through together. I wonder if you'd join me in exploring how we could do it differently. John says, yeah, sure. I have a hair trigger reaction to anything that reminds me of either of my parents trying to fix me. Sally says, yeah, as you've said to me before, you often didn't feel seen for who you were as a kid. It seemed like your parents were so often disapproving of you. 
and it's a real sore spot still. I'm wondering how it feels for you to hear me acknowledge that. John responds, I don't know. It feels weird, I guess. I appreciate you naming it on the one hand, and on the other hand, it makes me nervous. I feel myself waiting for the other shoe to drop. Sally says, it's hard for you to trust that you can be in relationship with me without having to guard yourself from those old unwelcome feelings. Is that it? So that's an example of how the conversation might open up into a deeper understanding of what happens between them. A moment where people drop their defenses and risk engaging within a more tender and self-revealing space. One of the things I want listeners to notice during that fuller exchange is the use of requests. Each time Sally spoke, she ended on a request. She asked, I wonder if you'd join me in exploring how we could do it differently. And then, I'm wondering how it feels for you to hear me acknowledge that. She didn't leave it up to John to guess where she was heading with the conversation or what she was wanting. And the requests she was making were connecting requests. They helped to support both of them speaking more openly about their feelings and needs. So here are 10 examples of connecting requests. And these are requests that in my workshop trainings, I ask participants to practice saying out loud in small groups so they can develop some capacity around making connecting requests. One, would you be willing to tell me what you're hearing me say? Two, can you tell me how you feel about what I've just said? Three, can you tell me what you're hearing that's so alive in me? Four, can you tell me what you're hearing that I'm placing such a high value on in this moment? Five, can you tell me what comes up for you hearing what I've just said? Six, can you tell me how my words are landing for you? Seven, can you reflect back to me what you're hearing me say? Eight, I want to be sure I'm speaking clearly, and I'm wondering if you'd help me out and let me know what you're hearing right now. Nine, I want to be sure you're not hearing blame or criticism, and I'm wondering what you are hearing. Ten, can you tell me what's stimulated in you hearing what I've said? At the end of the exercise, I ask people to share what they've learned during the practice. Most people say, it feels weird to speak like this. It's not normal. Of course it feels strange. It's not part of people's habitual repertoire of responses. When I ask which connection request feels the most challenging for them, 90% of the people say it's this one. Can you tell me what you're hearing that's so alive in me? Marshall Rosenberg often described nonviolent communication as a process with two objectives, to help people share what's alive in them and to make life wonderful. And so to ask, can you tell me what you're hearing that's so alive in me only makes sense, doesn't it? We are alive, sentient beings, and rather than dull ourselves and submit to acceptable versions of ourselves based on what the regime wants and expects, I encourage people to reflect on their aliveness and humanness. We are alive creatures born to a living earth each of us bound to a specific time and place that asks something of us. And given the fact that the gift of being born asks something of us, which I would describe most simply as our humanity, it's important to remember 
that we will be better able to be of service in our roles as we not only respond to requests, but also learn to articulate them. And remember, the idea is to make requests with the objective of enriching life, not for our own sake, but for the sake of the relationship, which of course includes us. I have included the 10 requests in the show notes, so be sure to make use of them in your NVC practice. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you for tuning into NVC Life. For future episodes, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. For free resources or to book a private session with me, head over to rochellelam.com. Until the next time, stay sane, grateful, and generous. Thank you.